Welcome to the Story Forward Podcast. We are your hosts. He is, of course, Christian Wynn, the co-founder of the Story Fort Literary and Storytelling Fest, director of said fest. I am Larry Rosen, sometime participant in said fest, 100% host of this year podcast. We have officially reached the halfway point in our season. Have we reached the halfway point in our season? You know, it's hard to tell. We're just kind of, you know, playing it by ear. We're on the halfway point in our season. And to commemorate that, uh, we're going to do a another Boise-focused episode here. That noise you hear is me turning pages. Uh, by having representatives of something I think is very important uh, as an outsider, and you can tell me if this is the correct uh, read from an outsider. Something that, uh, that I think is, is an institution that is of paramount importance to the Boise arts world. And that is the community radio station, Radio Boise. Yes. Am I reading this correctly? I would absolutely say this. Yeah, it's interesting. We had a, an episode just recently about the Boise Rock School and the Boise and Radio Boise came on the scene right about that same time. And that's when Tree 4 came around. So they're part of the, uh, the just the arts and cultural community in a, in a really cool way. It's all community run mostly by volunteers. And uh, but these two are on the they're on the payroll that we're we have today. Yeah, the big wigs. Uh, yes. Um, so there must have been a big sort of uh, uh, paradigm shift in Boise right around the late aughts. Because, you know, Rock School was tw- 2008. Tree Ford was t- 2011, I think, maybe 2000. Yeah, 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boise, Radio Boise was right around that time, too. What was it like before that? Was it an arid? It was a, <laughs> it was a high desert wasteland. Um, <laughs> we had, I mean... It's interesting because I guess in working in the arts in Boise, um, I, you know, haven't really added this whole thing up with this, like with Radio Boise, with Treefort, with Storyfort, with, you know, with uh, Radio Boise and the uh, and the Rock School. That's what I'm mentioning. But that, yeah, just, I think they, they must have had an influence on each other and this all coming together. But I, you know, it wasn't like a momentary, like, understanding that the arts needed a big kick in the butt here in Boise, but uh, as some creative people um, just were all operating at the same time. So that's not much of an answer, but yeah, it was before this time, it was still pretty cool. You, I mean, you came, you didn't really, you weren't really coming to Boise. I never, that yeah, I did, yeah. I didn't come up till after this was all happening. Um, but you know, sometimes uh, you don't realize that something's not there until it's there. Yes. Yeah. And it was, I think that has an effect. There were some good clubs and we would see a, a fair amount of good music um, in coming through town. But I think they all kind of braid together in an interesting way that uh, they all kind of improve each other. You know, it's a rising, what's the rising tide? There's lifting all those boats, you know? So, we, yeah. Yeah. And it's just great that we've been able to get uh, some of these entities on our podcast. Um, and uh, I think Boise just in general was kind of getting a little more sophisticated mm. um, in certain ways. Like the art scene was really coming, coming along. Downtown was getting a little more bustling. And then uh, it's just kind of continued along the way, really. But uh, we have Wayne Burt here today and also Nicole Marie Albertson-Winkle. Now, Nicole is our primary interview uh, today. Yes. And then Wayne will be doing a correspondent piece uh, in which 
Well, we don't know yet what Wayne's going to do, but whatever it's going to be, I've had a few interactions with Wayne and they've all been awesome. Yeah. He's been in radio for a long time before the station even started. So he has stuff to say about that. I know. (laughs) So Nicole (laughs) is the music director. And I, yeah, we should tell you what they do for it. Is Wayne one of the founders of Radio Boise? I think he was right there at the beginning. So I don't know. There was another guy um, that they refer to a bit, but uh, yeah, I I don't want to give him that title out of school here because I'm not totally sure. Well, in an an incredibly professional move, I'm perusing their website as we speak and I don't see founder (laughs) on this. This is really professional radio happening here. Uh, He is, however, the program director and production manager uh, and Nicole is the music director. And we, uh, in our interview, we trace Nicole's, really, it's, it's kind of a stunning rise from mm-hmm. volunteer to music director in a very short period of time. But I think that's part of the charm of community level radio. Is Absolutely. That a lot of the gatekeepers have been removed and you can sort of write your own ticket by showing up and being reliable and being enthusiastic and caring and that yeah. was through, you know we we ask her um i mean and she's not she's no tyro she's a dj she dj'd in college and she knew how to do that and when she got a show on radio boise she turned in a very professional job to the point where i asked her at one point in the interview um if she would ever have considered going into commercial radio and her answer yeah. kind of surprised me because i thought she would say no but she did say she had thought about it. A little bit, yeah. Um, and she has a great voice for it, for sure, the skills. And yeah, we get into some of her, her how she got into the radio biz in the first place, you mm-hmm. know, at the U of I. And so you'll get that story and also about this cool story of her having a job reading books. Oh, to, yeah. To the blind and disabled, you know. So it's it's pretty... Pretty cool. It's like conversation around that's great. And then Wayne's correspondent piece is awesome. And just, yeah, I mean, there, if you're in Boise, what, where can you find Radio Boise, Larry, since you have their website up? Oh, hey, hey. I thought you meant where in Boise. And I'm like, oh, address. <laughs> I can tell you that part, but yeah. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's radioboise.org. Where, where are they on the dial? Oh, where are they on the dial? You think I can find that on their website? Uh, it is 89.9. From Boise and beyond, 93.5 downtown. There we go. Before we get to the interview, and I do want to get to the interview, I wanted to ask you a question because it seems like, you know, when I've first started coming up to Idaho, it seemed like and continues to seem like that what you do is fairly well intertwined with what they do. So I was going to ask you, have you ever considered like formally becoming part of that radio station and maybe trying to, I know Sam has done some shows, our mutual friend, Sam, have you ever done shows? Yeah, I've done, I've been on a few shows. Um, there's a show called um, the poetry show that I've been on a couple different times and a couple, maybe three different hosts, I guess. So it's been around for a few years. So as a writer person, I've been on there. Sam and I were both on a couple times with um, a sports centric show they used to have that they don't have anymore um, for various reasons we won't get into but it's uh other than that i've been on the air doing interviews and i work with them in a certain capacity both i run i help produce uh the series called the couch surfer artist series where it's like something along the lines of fresh air meets tiny desk concerts um Mm -hmm. and so i 
founded that at a different location, but since gosh, the last five plus years, we've been having it at the station. And uh, so that's, I guess I am kind of like a DJ of sorts with that because I do a lot of the work just to put all that on. And so I don't, I've never been in the booth as the actual DJ, but here we've had live recordings and I've been a moderator at times. And so, yeah, I, I, beyond that, I haven't considered being like a DJ per se, but I do work with them a lot. We borrow a lot of their equipment. I have a large set of that equipment myself. And they re-air a lot of our programming from StoryForge on a okay. show called Stray Theater and a couple of the others. So we eat Wayne and his crew um, and our man, Jared Bostrom, who is our editor for this podcast. He is a DJ, also known as Manimal. This is, uh, that's right. He yes. is the Manimal. Mm-hmm. Jared is the Manimal. Well, that's enough of us. Why don't we let uh, Nicole and Wayne tell their own stories? First, let's we'll get Nicole, then we'll get Wayne. All right. Well, let's get to it. Nicole Marie. That is your professional name and welcome to the Story Forward podcast. We're here today to talk about radio, uh, both your role and how you chose this as, I don't want to be presumptuous and say a career, because I know you, you have a day job, I think, as well, um, but as an interest. But also, um, you know, we want to talk about radio and, and Radio Boise, how it is unique, but also what makes it different from public radio and commercial radio and how that experience is just different. So but how I want to start is a little background on you. Now, I know you were a college radio DJ at the University of Idaho. Describe to us what sort of the thinking was going into that and how considerate of a decision was that? Was that something you had wanted to do for a long time? Uh, hi, thanks for having me. Uh- <laughs> To answer that simply is no. I, uh, like many 20-year-old college students, I was hormone-driven, and uh, a guy I liked had a radio show. So uh, yeah, I started and did a radio show just because I thought he was cool and the people there were cool, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the, The discovery of new music was fantastic. And it was just, it really didn't take any time out of my um, school schedule. It was on a weekend. And so just a couple hours uh, on a weekend was nothing. And unlike my show now, I spent, uh, um, I didn't spend any time preparing. I would just go in. They had a huge music library. So I would go and pick three CDs. And I would play a track off of them. And I usually went with like track number one or number three or number seven, or I liked the title of the song and I would just play that song. And then I would play the other one. And then I would return those (laughs) to their places in the library. And then I would grab three more. And so, yeah, it was much different from what I do now. I do a lot of prep now. But at some point, you know, you had to, I don't know if there was an audition, some way you had to impress upon them the idea that you could speak on the radio. Did it come naturally to you? It did come naturally to me. Uh, I was always told I had a nice voice, so that gave me some confidence. I thought I had good taste in music, so that gave me confidence as well. And then just knowing someone who was established within KUOI, um, you know, it was easy. Nice. And so you were, it was uh, also, sounds like it was a uh, you know, indie rock kind of female centric, you know, Liz Fair, PJ Harvey were listed, uh, you know, among those names in one of your interviews. But yeah, what, what was your vision that way? Like when you started sort of 
wanting to put those voices out there in Moscow, Idaho. I guess I just love their passion and their being so proud of being women, uh, sexual women, because I grew up where you were ashamed if you were sexual at all, or uh, it's this double-edged sword where you want to be attractive, right? But don't be too attractive or you're a slut or whatever. So I love that their their message of uh, female empowerment was so positive and uh, it it, for me, it made me feel good. So to share that on the air was just fun. It was just fun. And how long did it take you to come up with that as a concept versus just starting out by going to the library, grabbing records and playing something that sounded good? I don't think much. I think I just went in and picked artists that I was familiar with. Um, but, you know, at the time, Radiohead was breaking out really big. Creep was a really p- popular song. Um, Built to Spill, of course, was huge, uh, being a breakout band um, nationwide from my hometown. Uh, I went to see Modest Mouse a bunch of times. So that, so it wasn't just female indie rock, but just any kind of like uh, guitar-driven uh, with real live musicians. You didn't have a, you had some like synth stuff, but not, not like we do now. And, and did you do that through the rest of college? You said you were 20 when you started. So I'm guessing sophomore, maybe. Um, I think, I, you know, I didn't get started in college until I was a little bit older. So I think I was 22. Hmm. And um, I think I did it for like three semesters. And then I stopped okay. just to focus on yeah. school. So when this ends and eventually you graduate and you come to Boise, which mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you're from Boise because you had said something about them being from your hometown. Yes. Um, when you got here, it's a much larger stage than a college radio station. So when you got here, did you have any designs on continuing? No, actually, what I did was started volunteering for the Idaho Commission for Libraries Talking Book Series, where I narrated uh, audiobooks for the blind and disabled of Idaho. It's a nonprofit where people can go online and pick their books and the studio was just converting from the reel to reel recording into digital recording when I first started. So um, yeah, they were very pleased to not have to edit on a reel to reel anymore. And they could just use the kind of software that we have now that we can select. Yeah. Welcome welcome to the 21st century. I know. And I thought that, yeah, I didn't know that that you'd have that job until we started prepping for this particular interview. And I think that's really, Larry and I were talking about it a little bit before um, you came on. Just there's an interesting, of course, link between your voice as kind of an instrument or a piece of art or a conveyor of art in that realm. Um, So were you kind of maybe... Did you think, oh, I can, I sound pretty good on these books and whatnot. Uh, maybe I should try some DJ. I know that you also had um, your friend, Wendy Fox, who has been involved with the, the station for a long time. But I guess how did that transition work along those lines of like, hey, my voice is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, you know, honestly, it was about being a volunteer and doing something for my community. So I did the, um, as a volunteer, the narration for five years. And 
at that time, Radio Boise had moved from just internet to the terrestrial radio. And I did know Wendy and she and I talked. I was also working at a music venue downtown, Neuralux downtown. So I got to meet not just a lot of musicians, but rub elbows with the musicians that were performing and touring and stuff. And so therefore nurtured that passion for music and then also realizing that I could volunteer in another way that I did feel like was making an impact in the community, but also something I really love because I found with volunteering, you have to make sure it's something that you like or you won't show up because we're not getting paid. There's not a lot of incentive except for just having a passion for it. So um, yeah, I knew that I would be okay with coming on the radio every week. And so Wendy and I had a conversation. She said, we're having a meeting coming up come to the meeting, see what you think, um, sign up as a volunteer. And so I went to the meeting and I knew half the people there. So that was very comforting. And so I knew I would fit in like, these are my people. And so then I became a volunteer and I helped out at Radiothon. And again, just solidified because, you know, volunteering again, it has to be something you love, but also around people that you like, right? But was that on air when you were help when you were volunteering with Radiothon? No, I was I was like answering phones. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at this point, what's driving you more? Uh, the love of music, the love of the people, or uh, a long range plan to actually be a DJ? Uh, at this point in the story, or at this yeah, point at this in point the- in the story. Okay, okay, okay. Um, that's a good question. I guess a, a little column A, column B. Um. Once I became a radio DJ, so they trained me as a sub, and then I started coming in and co-hosting on Tuesday afternoons, and um, and I, you know, I think they were just testing to see not only how good I would be, but also will you show up? Because mm-hmm. that's so important. Reliability is just very important in this as well. And so um, then I started volunteering in the music library. So we get a lot of um, submissions, not just physical submissions, but digital submissions. And so it takes more than one person to field all of that stuff. So I started volunteering and I found I would just bring in a thumb drive and grab a bunch of music, go over it, and that would be my playlist. So it just... um, Again, the um, exploration and discovery of music uh, still influences me today. Was there a big gap between sort of the, uh, the ways and means of a college radio station versus what the stuff you had to learn at Radio Boise? You said you had to go through training. I'm not, you mentioned training at, at, uh, at the University of Idaho. Uh, was it a step up professionally, even though it's a community station, even though it's all volunteers? It seems like there's a lot more to do here at Radio Boise. You know, we don't have producers or anything helping us play the underwriting or anything like that. We're just totally on our own. So, and I remember at KUOI, we had a paper system and you would write down the songs that you played and what time you played them. And we had CD player and we had a record player, but there was no digital way to play music. Hmm. And then when you started at Radio Boise, then it was pretty lo-fi, I should say, like DIY kind of stuff. I mean, it was just sort of like two, as you put it, I think in one of the, the same interview I was referencing earlier, but just like two turntables and a microphone, but one of the turntables didn't work. And, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah when what, they, what was that like? 
Well, when they were upstairs um, in the Alaska building and they were just um, on internet, uh, my friend Kathy took me up there because she was a DJ at that time to show me around. And like the shelves were empty. I mean, there was only a couple records, couple CDs on the shelves. And that was so different from what I experienced at QE. And then like, I, yeah, you said it was two turntables and a microphone. And that's not just a song quote. That's really what it was. So I was like, wow. So then, you know, fast forward a few months to talk to Wendy and things had progressed so much and like it had completely changed. I was like, oh, yes, I definitely want to be a part of this. Not that I wasn't interested before I was, but it's just so amazing to see how much progress is made. And, and as you go along, it's not only the radio station that's progressing, it's you personally, and you're taking on more responsibility, and you're getting a higher profile. Is there ever a point when you think, wait a minute, this is enough. I can't go further than this. I can't become a music director. I would say no, because I just think that there's still so much more room to grow. I'm a, I'm a very part-time music director. I do have a full-time day job that I've been doing for almost 30 years. So I, I get paid for about 10 hours of work a week. So that's really part-time. I come in a couple hours every day and I go through all the digital submissions and I've got a great team that comes in and helps um, with other parts of that. And so, yes, I definitely see that there's room to grow. If they were to offer me more hours, I would say, okay, this is what I would like to do. And what is it like as you get more comfortable and more familiar with people to suddenly become someone that people, maybe they don't recognize your face, but they recognize your voice. Uh, I'm assuming you'd probably do events as well. So what's that been like? Is that, is that a fun part of the job or is that a necessary part of the job? It is both, I think. As you know, we really haven't had a lot of events. Mm. Um, and I know my limitations and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. So I have said no to some things. Um, believe it or not, I can be kind of shy. <laughs> well, you're so. a lit major. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Well, so just that transition too from being just, you know, a, a DJ, not just a DJ, but being a DJ and a volunteer and all that kind of stuff. And then they ask you to be the music director. I mean, what was that? I mean, then you said you have a team working with all this, but maybe a little bit deeper dive into sort of the how that works. I mean, do you have a hand in nearly every show there? And then what that transition was like to even get from just an individual there to now you're like kind of the voice, if you will, or the, at least, I guess you're the director, you're in charge. <laughs> so you get to like have, have your say in many things. And, and what's that like, I guess, is what I'm curious about. Uh, well, as my supervisor calls it, he says, I'm the tastemaker. Tastemaker. And it's at the same time, like, because it's a free form uh, community radio station, we don't dictate what the programmers play on their shows, which is so fun and so great. And it makes it so diverse. But if I get music that I think is particularly good for a show, like uh, the agenda is a good example. Um, just this week, I got two really good LGBTQ uh, submissions. And so I forwarded it to those DJs and I said, Hey, what do you think of this? And I never say, please play this on the show or you have to play this on the show, but Hey, you might be interested in this or you might this. And at the same time, uh, bands will also message me um, or the radio station and say, Hey, we have an album coming out. 
Um, will you please uh, check out our single? And um, in fact, um, lo a local band, the French Tips, have a new album coming out. And I just heard from their, um, sorry, drum drummer. And she said, okay, this is our next single coming out. This is the date that it's out. And so, yeah, I'll grab that. And even so the day that it's coming out, I will message a DJ and say, hey, how would you like to premiere this on your show? You don't have to, but here it is if you want it. So I do have a little bit of a, a little bit of influence on mm. on that because something that they might not have been aware of if I had not contacted them about it. I was going to say, in addition to being a taste, once you become a tastemaker, you become something of a gatekeeper too. Are you comfortable with that? A uh, gatekeeper? I am comfortable with that. Honestly, I am because we have to follow FCC guidelines, not just in obscenity laws. Radio Boise has their own kind of guidelines where we um, absolutely no hate, hate language. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't mind being a gatekeeper at all. Um, maybe that's the Capricorn in me. I mean, I think that's good because it, it, it probably the worst kind of gatekeepers are the gatekeepers who aren't comfortable being gatekeepers. <laughs> um, so, and let's talk a little bit. I mean, now that you're, you know, you're really, you're really part of the fabric of the radio station now, has there ever been a time when you've thought, this isn't my ceiling. You know, what I'd like to do is get into commercial radio or even public radio, or is it, is the fact that you work at community radio as important as working in radio? That's a good question. I have not thought about working in public radio, but if the opportunity came up, I certainly would look into that. Um, one of my um, clients told me that they were looking for a new morning DJ on a local radio station. And so I listened to their radio station and I did not like it. What was it about? What about it? Did you not like? Uh, the music was <laughs> songs that we've heard hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. And that, and again, it goes back to my love of discovery of music. It's like, we all like music that we know and love. It's true that we do, but we don't need to be hammered by that the whole time we're listening to the radio. And um, I also like that we have total control over what we say on our mic breaks, whereas their mic breaks right. sounded very scripted and really, really short, which is fine, but um, too scripted. And I don't know what else to say about that. Well, yeah. It seems like, especially for a morning show like that, there'd be a different kind of energy, sort of a manic energy that I'm that I get. I mean, yeah. the times I've listened to, to Radio Boise seems wholly absent. Radio. No, no helicopters like giving traffic reports and stuff like that. So. <laughs> no, no real ones. Uh, okay. There was, there was a weather or a traffic report that um, DJ Winkle used to do on Crush Corner. So it was the middle of the night, and then <laughs> they would fake this helicopter noise and fake that funny uh, traffic report. It was it was humorous, but yeah, we don't do that for reals <laughs> yeah uh, this is your husband now yeah i did <laughs> yeah i did actually meet my husband at the you, radio station as well you, i was oh. trying to think of a clever way to work that in but it was just <laughs> that's good um now you are mrs winkle yeah partly yes. these we had nicole marie albertson winkle so we're going to go with four names at yeah, least. Yes, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so yes, love was in the, in the offing at Radio Boise, which is pretty yeah. great. 
Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of love there in general. And, um, you know, since 2020, things have been difficult all around, but um, we try to support each other in all, you know, if someone decides to leave for whatever reason, it's supported. It's not like, well, we don't, we don't talk to you anymore. Then you're not part of us. It's, it's not like that. We're, we'll always um, embrace whatever changes come our way. Well, and, and you are literally in a bunker together. Um, yeah, that's true. We've been to that station. Yes. Larry and I have been down. We have. So I've <laughs> talked to, we've, we've talked a little bit about your ceiling and what you perceive as your own ceiling, but what about radio Boise? Uh, is there a ceiling for a small community radio station? And if not, how do you handle growth? You know, I, I think that that's probably a, a better question for Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he's been there longer and he has his pulse his finger more on the pulse of something like that. Um, but, you know, I, whenever I travel, I try to go to community radio stations and to get, get a tour if I can. Mm. And um, I've been to tiny, a tiny one in, um, in Montana, not Missoula, not Bozeman, Butte, Butte, Montana. Oh, yes. And that was very small. And then we also toured KEXP in Seattle and that was very huge. And so, yeah, we're, we're somewhere in the middle and we, there are other community radio stations that we look to for inspiration. And if we're going to grow, let's see how, how, how well it's done and how it's done well. Well, and how, how does a community radio station respond? No, I don't want to say response, but a relationship with the community differ from a public radio station or a commercial radio station, in your opinion? You know, I think in both instances, they do care about community, reach out to community, do fund drives for community, be a part of um, what people need. As far as uh, Radio Boise goes, I feel like like the public affairs programs um, since the beginning have been fairly focused on uh, conservationism and that has uh, uh, evolved into um, more awareness of the diversity um, of cultures that are coming here and that um, it needs to be nurtured. Mm. Yeah. And on the nurturing end too, I've, I've been, I've been- Curious about your take on, you've been obviously involved with the radio station uh, for nearly all of its existence. Um, and how, what do you think the influence of like Radio Boise and other community stations too? You can maybe, I guess, speak to that a little bit. Larry and I being sort of Seattle based at certain times of our life, have seen what like KEXP has done to influence the, the community there over the years and as well as like internationally now, but what do you think Radio Boise has done for this community? Maybe almost in tandem with some of what Tree Fort's brought instead of their, you're coming into the, this well, it's 10 years of Radio Boise and it's 10 years of Tree Fort. So I think. And you're talking, you're talking specifically about local music community, right? Music more than sort of the, the social issues, but maybe both. I mean, whatever you think the, the station has brought or how you've seen it evolve too. So anyway. Yeah, so music is the first thing that I think of. Um, there are other aspects as well, but yeah, to um, so we have uh, shows like Live from the Basement, or it used to be it used to be called Live Sounds, right? And now it's from the Basement. 
So we will bring in um, bands that have um, that are here on tour or maybe they're local or they have new music coming out um, to give interviews, do a performance. And that way it kind of highlights uh, and gives them a chance to perform for the community and get listeners. And I think we have a wider uh, audience than just maybe someone, the few hundred or who, however many people would come to the show. A few more people are going to hear them that way. Um, and then during Tree Fort that you mentioned, we do have live performances there that are recorded and put out, um, not just it's broadcast live, but then it's also um, put on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel that's um, also another project that um, Wayne has a lot to do with. And uh, we are looking forward to nurturing and and making bigger and better as more and more of this hopefully starts to happen more and more. And it puts you you in an interesting position where you are in a position to really help local music and help local bands. Do you ever run up against a thing where the nicest band in the world just isn't something you want to put on the radio? Sure. Yeah. You know, and I'm never, I never want to ruin anyone's day. So, right. So, I mean, it's not that I've never just not answered that has happened so that I don't, because like with any relationships, really, if someone's not answering you, you kind of get, get it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now you're making me, um, think of someone who did a music submission and he came at me and said, you know, the least you could do is respond to me. And I was like, okay, I politely would say that this is not the right fit for our station, but I appreciate you reaching out. And I was very nice and diplomatic. Again, I'm not here to ruin anybody's day, but yeah, it can happen. But honestly, usually it's it's a good experience it seems like that would be one of the most rewarding experiences of the job oh it feels so good it feels so darn good um which is probably a big reason that i keep doing it but like there was a guy um the um last week who emailed me i responded the same day he came to the station the next day dropped off his cds and then it was like when can i be on the radio And I'm like, I will be in touch with you as will other people who, but it was really cool to see the enthusiasm and really um, excitement of this artist and to, for him to know that we're, we heard him, we accepted him, all of the hard work that he did on his CD was not for nothing And that's what I always remember when people are submitting music to us is like, I know they worked really hard on this and I, um, I, I'm not a musician, so I have no idea what it takes to do that, but I know it's hard work and you put your heart and soul in it. And so I respect that. But you also by now have probably a very trained and good ear. I guess I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to gosh, early, early days. I wouldn't even give it, sometimes I wouldn't even give it 10 seconds. And I said, no, you need to listen to more of this and see what you think. So I definitely give a good, good listen. I don't just turn it off after a few seconds. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I can relate to that personally as someone who does some 
attitude oh, yeah. and judging of others, you know, as far as like others' arts. Um, but maybe a, a story about when you, how you've been like pleasantly surprised when you're like, oh, the first 10 seconds is just, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, all right. I'm, as you said, and also another interview doing the chair dance, perhaps, I don't know, or just sort of like being entertained, you know, via, you know, this, this, uh, this sound you're listening to. So, um, I will say that my taste in music has definitely gotten more well-rounded. And um, so being going back to your pleasantly surprised, um, hip-hop music, sometimes I'm not a big fan of that, um, which my husband has definitely helped me open my ears and, and heart a little bit more to hip-hop music. But um, yeah, if I hear the first few lyrics say, uh uh, uh, like, no, no. <laughs> but if I keep listening, I might en end up enjoying it. But if if someone's just making weird sounds, I, it doesn't speak to artistry to me. So we're we're almost out of time. But before we went, I wanted to hear if you've ever had an experience, or maybe more than one experience, where you became a fangirl. Or maybe someone was coming through town or, you know, someone came to the station or you got an opportunity yeah. to meet someone you'd always wanted to meet. Tell me about one that turned out great. Wow. Just one. <laughs> or some. Drop some names. Oh yeah. Okay. We, I'm going to name. Segment of the show. We do. Yeah. I'll name three just off the top of my head. Uh, Jen Champion, who's from Seattle. Amazing. Oh, just gives me chills. Uh, Smokey Brights, who also happens to be from Seattle, and I listened Whoa. to your interview with them. Yeah, I good job, guys. I got to do an interview with Ryan and Kim, too, so that was really cool. Um, and, oh, uh, a band called the Soft White 60s. Mm. Um, my friend Ben turned me on to the Soft White 60s, who had played at the Red Room back when the yeah. Crazy Horse became the Red Room and the Crazy Horse. And I don't know, they played there once. So he actually gave me their disc. And um, they, I've interacted with the Soft White 60s several times since then. And my husband teases me about having a crush on Octavio. <laughs> um, I mean, if you can't have a crush on a guy named Octavio, who right, can you have right. a crush on? But Actually, to piggyback on that, one last question. Actually, Chris and I were talking about this before because I... Um, used to write about music in the nineties in Seattle. Oh. Is there ever been, and I was telling him, you get friendly with a lot of the subjects, the bands, but after a while you realize you're only talking about their band. Have you managed to, to jump that gap with some artists where you're not talking about their band where you're actually friends? I, hes I hesitate to say that those guys are my friends, but um, so when Jen Champion came and performed here with her band S over at Neuralex, I did stop and talk to her for about 15 minutes until I realized it had been so long. And I was like, I'm very sorry, but I really wanted to talk to you. So yeah, I talked to her about um, her musical history and I just think that she's a nice person. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I can't say that we're friends, but... <laughs> Well, I, I, I can relate to that as well. Like that idea, like you do wish they were, you assume that you're friends. I mean, I think the Smoky Brights are 
our friends, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we've ever really hung out, but it does, it, this is a nice They're thing. Nice to people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, nice. they really are like super, so, so friendly. And I ordered some merch from them and Ryan knew exactly who I was and he wrote me a little note and that makes you feel good. And I, um, yeah, so I would totally go have coffee with any of those people. <laughs> uh, did you get to meet Liz Fair when she was here at uh, Treeford a couple of years ago? No, but I did oh. go um, into the main stage and watched her perform. And um, my husband watched me sing along to every single <laughs> song. Uh, yeah. I was really happy. It was a good moment. I did. I, yes, like many people in the 90s, I, I had a pretty big crush on her as the, if you speak of crushes in the in the music world that was definitely one but um for me but uh yeah oh my gosh it's been so great rosen do you have any other questions final thoughts i um, don't i've exhausted um oh yeah <laughs> i have one like bookkeeping question that i thought i knew the answer to but maybe i don't and it's a really a broad kind of dumb question. What is the actual difference between community radio and public radio? I think that we're a little bit more free form. And I think uh, Wayne might actually have a better answer for that. I don't listen to a lot of public radio. I think they play a lot more news than we do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm pretty sure there's probably a story Fort presents interview with Wayne where he answers that question, but I can't remember what the answer was. That was a lot. That was way back in the early days. Of the, time. Back in 2020. Um, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's more free form, but for my answer and not even being, I guess I'm involved with some stuff, but not like a DJ person ever over there, but it does seem that it's wonderfully like representative of the people of the Boise area, the people who are doing the DJing like yourself, it seems like those personalities kind of drive community radio in a way that you don't get on NPR, or you don't get on commercial radio, right? I mean, because they're they're paid, <laughs> you all are mostly volunteer, and it's like so. There's so many different angles of programming to to the whole station, um, and I think just curating and helping curate all that is really great as a tastemaker that you do and that Wayne does and all the others over there. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like a, a mosaic, if you will, of the whole, I don't know, the music community. So there we go. Very nice. So the show is called The Rapture on Tuesdays. Um, what time on Tuesdays for people that want to find it? Uh, noon to three. And tell people where to find Radio Boise online www.radioboise.org. Okay. Uh, is there any place people can find you? Uh, do you have some social media that people can go to that are for public consumption? Sure. Um, I have a, per a personal, you know, uh, Facebook account. So Nicole Marie Albertson Winkle, but I also have a show page and that's just the rapture uh, I think I had to call it a long name because you couldn't just call it the rapture. Because <laughs> that's been taken in yeah. the, the Bible. And that movie yeah. with Mimi Rogers, too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So it's like the rapture on Radio Boise with Nicole Marie. It's just got a longer name to it. <laughs> so, that's yeah. I, can I just say one more thing about absolutely. being the music director? So while I have my musical taste has broadened quite a bit, there's a lot of there are a few genres that I will listen to and just be like, I can't 
say yes or no to this because I will never like it. So luckily we have, and we have such a wide range of shows that I can send that music to somebody and say, Hey, what do you think of this? Is this something that we should include or something that we should just pass on? So, you know, it's, it's not just me. So, um, it's just, again, it's, it, that's part of the community of, of the station as well. What are those genres? If you don't mind me asking, what are the genres? <laughs> uh, metal, any kind of like heavy metal style, and apparently there's like thrash, goth, and there's all kinds. Yeah, I mean, there's black metal. Yeah, yeah. There's like yes, yeah, the um, was the Cookie Monster voice one, whatever that one is. Yeah, <laughs> screamo, yeah, screamo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that I I farm out if that's the right phrase. I farm out to somebody who likes metal music. Um, bluegrass i usually try to i mean i kind of can handle some banjo and whatnot i can kind of tell if something's good something's good or not but sometimes i'll ask hey what right. do you think of this this the mandolin this maybe they <laughs> lots of mandolin <laughs> lots of weird little dances in bare feet also yeah it very much reminds me of my uh, college days when people were really into the grateful dead <laughs> Larry, don't let Larry hear it. Well, he heard that already. So. <laughs> Chris, thank our guest for coming on. I'll let you do that. Okay. Thank you, Nicole Marie Albertson Winkle. Really great to talk with you. Yeah, great to, to plunge the depths and learn about community radio and your journey. And, and we got to get you out of here now because it looks like it's you're enveloped in darkness now. I know. I think the sun's starting to go down. There it is. I'm Wayne Burt, Program Director at Radio Boise. Uh, trigger warning, this is kind of a scary story. It was March of 2020 at the beginning of COVID, at least in the Treasure Valley and in our worlds, um, those that live in the area. And obviously there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear, but the word quarantine came up. And what that did was cause a lot of people to sequester themselves into their own households. I was in a unique position because I didn't really have that luxury. I had to come look at the blinking lights of the transmission uh, control room and make sure that signals were being sent out into outer space so that human ears could hear them. A lot of programmers did home recordings, and so we were in the middle of a mad scramble at the very beginning to set them up, A, with their home recording equipment, and then B, teach them how to map uh, recording songs, and then, of course, laying their vocals on top of that and giving us these little packets of Radio Boise programs. I got to give a real big shout-out to Mr. Chris Tanzi for helping me with that at the very beginning. It was also very helpful to know that there were still some living humans in the world. Kudos, Chris, for being a living human. <laughs> um, it all culminated one night after uh, three or four weeks in which I found myself uh, walking down a dark street in the north end of Boise uh, with a bag with some recording equipment with a little piece of paper with an address on the piece of paper and uh, looking for this porch where I was supposed to put this bag of equipment behind a chair, leave it, and walk away. No questions asked. And I thought at that moment, man, this is like the movie poster for The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was very eerie, but not as eerie as it was inside of the Alaska building. Radio Boise is in the basement, and it's a huge building. Um, there is this gigantic atrium that um, is very open and goes up about four floors. So you can look up, down, all around, and then sort of get squeezed into these little hallways. And as I was doing my rounds, doing my rounds, processing all these two-hour shows to put out over the airwaves, I would walk down a hallway and hear a creak or hear the settling of the bones of the building, or hear what I thought was the elevator starting, and it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> I actually became a little nervier after that. I think my nerve endings got a little more galvanized, and I got better at it, but that was a very strange feeling. It reminded me of the old movie with Bruce Dern and the three robots, you know, that floating um, space station, Silent Runnings, I think it's called. Not a very great movie, but that image stuck in my head. I'm like walking around and the robots are actually, you know, the broadcast board at the radio station. But it got me to thinking uh, about how we receive radio. And when we receive radio, it generally is out of the emptiness. We don't advertise that we're broadcasting from the emptiness. And a lot of times that's not the case. There are folks in the booth that are playing their shows. They're alive. They're lively. You know, in the times before COVID, when we have fun drives, they were just flat out, you know, boon swoggles. They were great little parties that we had. And we invited uh, just about anybody that was in the mind to celebrate community radio to come by. When I thought about the first time, you know, when I thought about the emptiness that I was in the middle of, it almost felt like the transmission side and the receiving side had kind of fused. And I hearkened back to around 1983, um, and I was driving in to college from Meridian, where I lived at the time, and I had a crappy old VW Beetle that was pretty noisy. But lo and behold, I also had a little stereo, maybe a Philco radio, and I was rolling the dial on the left end of the dial. And I don't know where that impulse came from. I think in a way that we might be infused with that at inception. You know, we might have that DNA that causes us to be pulled by some unseen force. We don't know that the left end of the dial is non-commercial. We just know somehow with some invisible a force guiding us that we might find something more interesting. I was about halfway between Meridian and Boise, and I heard this tribal sound coming through the radio. Heard a tribal sound, and then the singing came, and the singing had a chorus, and the singing had the words that went like this. Oh, you got blue eyes. Oh, you got gray eyes. Oh, you got green eyes. I later found out that was New Order's Temptation, and I was like, what is this? So how do you walk around the streets asking people what a signal is? Um, what you heard something, where did it come from? <laughs> it's almost like walking through the desert saying, uh, where is God? Eventually I found it though. I repeated the left end of the dial. I found it again. I learned how to hold my body a certain way so that transmission would come through. And what that cut me to was uh, a really fun and equally mysterious stint as a student programmer at student-run KBSU. Uh, it was in a house on a street on University Way. It was an old craftsman house. The front door didn't lock, so you could be broadcasting at 2 in the morning, which I regularly did, looking out the window of the broadcast booth and seeing some stranger standing in the doorway. <laughs> a lot of times you would 
look over or maybe go to the edge of the booth and say, what's going on? And I remember one time a fella telling me, I just wanted to know where it came from. And I remember that. It reminds me of the Philip Dick story where Philip Dick is wandering through Soho. He hears the strangest sounds. He knows that they are from another place, a higher realm, uh, from the way and the truth, maybe. He walks into this loft and Sonic Youth is practicing. They stop, they see this bedraggled stranger standing there, and he looks at them and he says, this is the music I've been listening to in my head my whole life. I think that's what radio is like. It feels like it came from a different time, but a time maybe that you also existed in. Another way it goes full circle, or comes full circle, is when you're making playlists in the unending act of making playlists for programmers here at Radio Boise. I was putting together some music for a show as recently as a couple weeks ago, and I stumbled upon this uh, song by an Australian band called The Saints. They are fronted by a fellow named Ed Cooper. They really are one of the first examples of proto-punk, particularly down under, and such an influential band. And I happened upon a song called Memories Are Made of This, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I played that song on my first show at KBSU in 1983. It was a blink-and-you-miss-it moment. I didn't memorize the band. I didn't memorize the name. And there it is, like, you know, the edge of glacier coughing up all the things that it had scoured in its path. We're like archaeologists here because we do things from all times and places. And I think that sort of underscores, like, the whole mystery of radio. We throw the vibrations of our voices into microphones. We push CD players. We put a needle on vinyl. We play digital files, and they send these signals out. The signal gets uh, oscillator applied to it. It gets frequency modulated. It goes to our tower on Hawaii Ridge outside of Homedale. And then, like those RKO picture uh, graphics, sends that signal back into the valley to 93.5, where it fills in the gaps of the floodplain. But no one can see it. All you know is that there's a little piece of evidence in your stereo speaker or in your car, or on your transistor. And when I try to explain it, I often get bogged down. This might be perfect evidence of that. But then a man much wiser than me, who earned this wisdom by being in radio for a good 60 years now, his name is Norman Davis, he hosts the Juke Joint. Not everybody knows that he was a legendary nighttime DJ at the station called KSAN in San Francisco from around the late 60s until late 70s. And he will just look at me, you know, as I'm fumbling my way through my PhD dissertation to try to explain the mysteriousness of radio. And he'll look at me and go, Wayne, radio is magic. It's magic because it's kind of a ghost story. We play dead people. We play things in an invisible way. Sometimes you're moved by a song that you can't explain. Sometimes it's Edith Piaf, who's been dead for 50, 60 years, something like that. Sometimes it's somebody new that you'll never meet in your life. It's the ultimate blind date. It's not a deaf date, but it's a blind date. And I think that's why, as Norman Davis says, radio is magic. Well, late night DJs are casting their fetishes out into the world. I don't mean that in an untoward sort of way. They're playing all their favorite music. They're going from one genre to another. They can empty it all out. The transition of becoming a more ongoing DJ is another matter altogether. 
But at that moment, like I was at KBSU at two in the morning with weirdos standing in the doorway, it was nothing but magical, but nothing but pure ecstasy and pure joy. Yet when DJs are doing their programs and they're putting it out there, a lot of times, especially late at night, they'll be like, who's out there? What am I doing? Where am I sending my signal to? Where's the signal going? Where is it landing? Whose ears is it uh, residing next to? Where am I putting this little act of faith that really comes from just loving music and wanting to share it with others? And I will look at him and I'll say, you're sending it into the emptiness. But that's where it all begins. And we are back. That was some great stuff, uh, both from Nicole and Wayne. I hope you enjoyed learning the ins and outs of community radio if you're considering a move into radio as a career or just an interested party. Uh, before we go, Christian Wynn has some people he'd like to thank for helping us put together this here podcast. Yes, I guess we haven't been always thanking our guests, but we, uh, I guess we do that on air, you know, but we I want to thank Wayne and, and Nicole Marie for coming on. Um, Jared Bostrom, as previously mentioned, as at for, thank you for editing, good Man sir. And also Brett Battistain, who has, he heads up and is the real spiritual force behind the eavesdrop studios and the podcast network that we are on with them and you can find their stuff at ease-drop.com you can find us on the twitter uh, twitter would be at story forward the why not you know what's funny is i always forget the name of instagram like the uh <laughs> the one with the photographs yeah, and stuff. yeah the, uh, that's at story dot forward um you know we're we're middle-aged men and i'm sure there's a lot of other um social media platforms that we don't dabble in and we apologize for that but that's yeah, just no. that's it that's the limit that's as far as we're going uh you can find me on the twitter and the instagram at that larry rosen you can find mr Wynn over there on the instagram at christian win uh you might be surprised to note that his posts are very uh little photographer type of stuff going on <laughs> yes hashtag lonely idaho that's been lonely my, my it's been my pandemic series but i've been off it for a little while but before i think you forgot to mention that we have we are on facebook too oh the facebook yes we yes. are on facebook Dastardly. all of the elderly platforms we are on yep yep so see us making tiktoks uh you're not going to see us with any uh fake instas that do we keep from our parents because well my parents are deceased but yes we're not on the snapchat either (laughs) that would be a real old person (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, but anyhow what what we have to say um, we, that wraps up another fine episode for us. And until we meet again, we ask only that you keep the story moving forward. <laughs>